Good evening. Welcome back. I appreciate Ted's enthusiasm and his uh, reminder to us all that if we have a smaller group, it helps the singing if we can scoot in and scoot forward. I know you don't want to do that. I'm right there with you. I understand. We all have come to the room. We all come by. It's easier to sit in the back. You're sitting in the outskirts. But much more encouraging for the song leader and much more edifying for all of us. We sing together and sing toward one another, which I think is the point. So uh, consider that when you return next Sunday night, and if you'll sit in the middle and scoot down front. I think that will help us tremendously. We are in 1 Corinthians tonight for our Sunday night study. I hope you will turn there. We're going to be, we were in part of 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. If you were paying attention tonight, we're going to finish out the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we will be. As you turn there, uh, if you are not familiar with this letter, um, this is kind of an interesting letter because sometimes you'll hear in the brotherhood that we need to to be like the church. We need to model ourselves after the church. And uh, I understand what they mean, but <laughs> a church is uh, people, as we talked about this morning. And, you know, every epistle had a different meaning, a different purpose behind it. And it's instructive for our purposes today. Well, the church at Corinth was a church with problems. And I don't just mean in a, in a, sort of a light way. This was a church with deep issues, problems, and challenges. Uh, if you saw a church like this today, you think, man, what, what is this group doing? Um, the church at Corinth was uh, beloved, but they were facing a lot of trials, a lot of uh, challenges, and it came mostly because they were uh, mostly focused on themselves more than one another. If you, if you look at the context, there was issues of division. They had camps, one following Paul, one following Apollos, probably others following different apostles and leaders in the early church. So they were divided amongst themselves. They were, um, uh, there was an issue specific of sexual immorality within the church that was bringing shame. Even the pagans were thinking, oh, that's, we wouldn't even go that far. Uh, they were bringing, taking each other to court in the, in the public square. They were uh, bringing their arguments out into the public and uh, letting the world look on and saying, I don't really need any of that. You might think about that next time you post on Facebook. Um, they, they, were, they had issues concerning uh, marriage and single people and uh, unmarried and widowed people. Um, they had issues with people who'd come out of idolatry and uh, had concerns with eating meat, sacrificed to these idols, if that was okay or not. Um, they had issues of idolatry. They had issues, as Steve talked about this morning, concerning the Lord's Supper. Um, we read 1 Corinthians 11 a lot when it comes to the Lord's Supper, but the fact is those scriptures were Paul dealing with a church that was partaking of that symbolic feast in exactly the wrong way. They had co completely forgotten the point. So all of that to say, to give you a little context and say, uh, Corinth was a church with problems. Well, 
Here in the last four chapters, um, Paul is going to work hard to encourage and remind them of who they are, not just come down on the problems. So that's where we are in chapter 12. And specifically, he gets to addressing the issue of spiritual gifts. Paul's, I'm sorry, Steve's talked about uh, the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights. And, you know, this was, there was the manifestation of prophecy, there was manifestation of, of uh, speaking in tongues, there was manifestation of, of knowledge, uh, there was different gifts given to the church. I think he uses this illustration, it's pretty good, talk about if you're building a building and usually you build the scaffolding first, so that you can do everything you need to get do so you can build the structure. And then once you're done building the structure, you remove the scaffolding. Well, he compares the work of the Holy Spirit in the first century church. And, and the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave uh, was for a purpose and a reason and time, but it weren't, wasn't meant to be permanent. And in dealing with these problems of, you know, one person's got the gift of speaking in tongues and one person has the gift of knowledge and one person has the gift of, of prophecy, in an already divided church, um, this church became even more polarized because some people thought they were better than others because the Spirit had given these various gifts. And Steve talked about that, I know, on on Wednesday night in the work of the Holy Spirit and how some believe in that manifestation today that if you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues, the other, other uh, gifts, uh, that you're not as, as high up of a Christian, you're not as spiritual of a Christian, which, of course, was the problem that he was addressing. So we step into verse 21, and we're, we're given this picture that we talked about this morning of the body. The body has many parts, but they're all together as one. And we're going to start in verse 21 and uh, continue through the end of the chapter. Verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Uh, (laughs) We live in a culture today where it's probably far easier than ever to cancel someone. To push them out of your life. If you don't want to hear from that person on Facebook, you can push mute. If you uh, completely want to sever the relationship, you can push unfriend. You can block people. You can sort it out. You can structure a nice little uh, echo chamber chamber of your own building uh, just in your own world and hear only from people you want to hear from and hear only things you want to hear. And we have to be careful in a culture like that not let the church become like that. And I think the temptation is probably larger in big congregations than in small ones. Because it's easy to say, well, I don't really need that, brother. I don't have much really I need to say to that, sister. And, and Paul would challenge that idea. He would say, all the parts need each other. And that's the first point. We need one another. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, both these chapters show us that there are many different parts and gifts within the body. And I think it's the height of hubris to believe at any level that your part within the body matters more than any other part. Now, it may be more public, it may be more out 
there. It may be more recognized. But every part is important. And, for that matter, every part lacks something. Every part of the body of Christ lacks something. Uh, The eyes don't hear too good. The ears don't smell too well. And it all functions together. So that leads us to the second point, which verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, with our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. There's a whole history here when you study this out in terms of culture, and uh, the Greeks in particular uh, didn't have a problem with competing, especially with athletic events in the nude. Um, I can think of no more uncomfortable thing (laughs) than, than trying to compete at that level and competing without any clothing. And that was a big deal for, of course, uh, Jews, and it was a big deal for first century Christians. They understood Paul's using an analogy here. And he, he was getting to the point that you know, different parts, we treat it differently. There's a reason for that. But all the parts still need each other. No part uh, of the body functions at 100% without the other parts doing their part. Strong parts need weak parts. Weak parts need strong parts. The uh, less honorable need the the more honorable. The presentable parts also need the unpresentable parts. Um, I was trying to think of a couple uh, ways in which we see this in our physical body. Uh, The old Achilles tendon. I think we had a three-on-three basketball tournament. Any Achilles injuries during during the uh, competition, hopefully not. Uh, that's a serious injury, okay? That's a, that's a relatively weak part. Your foot is an amazing structure. Architecturally, engineering-wise, it's one of the most fascinating structures. You've got more bones in that part of your body. So there's so much strength in your foot, and yet also in the foot is a, is a part of your body that's susceptible to injury and weakness, These two parts need each other. The weak part has the flexibility that allows the entire structure to move. The strong parts give it its strength. The Achilles tendon is a relatively small part, but you try walking without it. It doesn't work. Got your funny bone? They call it the funny bone. It's not really a funny bone. It's a nerve that's exposed. Your elbow is one of the hardest parts of your body. And God put where that exposed nerve is right at the, one of the hardest points of your body. The complementary idea of a weak part and a strong part working together. There's other examples I'm sure I'm not thinking of, but the point is that all the, complem- all the parts complement each other. Verse 25. That there may be no division in the body. The way we, we keep from dividing is from the understanding that my part is different than your part, and my part complements your part. Your part complements my part. 
When we come to that realization, it changes the attitude and the culture of the body and the church. That the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Uh, Most of you saw the announcement about Janelle Carr, young mother, 36 years old, passed away this past weekend. That's a hard situation. Devastating. Ten-year-old daughter met with the family the other day. They told me that Janelle has lived most of her life in pain. And I won't give you the whole history there, but she's lived through and with a lot of pain. And it's been the church, the body, that has been there to help to visit, to pray, to encourage. Even at the moments when she was leaving this world, when we, Christiane, went to meet with uh, her family, she said the church has been unbelievable through all of this. And I'm always glad to hear that. I know that Northside will rise to the occasion because we know who we are. If one member suffers... All suffer together. Sometimes people suffer in private ways. Ways that not everybody can know about. But I still think the body does a great job of caring for and looking after those moments of suffering. If you've ever been through a time of suffering in your life, I hope that you've experienced the care and the concern that the church should provide. And I hope that you haven't been so personal and so private, maybe so stubborn to say, I don't, I can handle this. I don't want to tell you, don't put it on the prayer tree. Don't let anybody in. I think that's pride. And I also think that's missing an opportunity to let the body do what the body's supposed to do. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Oh, we've seen that so many times as well. People are married for 50 years. New couple gets married. Someone has a baby. Good news from the doctor. Get the all clear in the PET scan. All the parts rejoice together. That's a good thing. You see, the eye needs the ear. The ear needs the foot. We all need one another. We all complement one another, and we all should care for one another. Paul says that all the different parts function as one, which seems odd. But we understand the trueness of that. Yet in this body, let's just use Northside as an example. We have people from all sorts of backgrounds. People have been Christians their whole lives. People fairly new to Christ. Old, young, rich, poor. Big families, small. Many friends, very lonely. We have people from all different demographics and all different walks of life and ways of thinking. And we come together as one. Because we need one another. We complement one another and we care for each other. 
If you think about the roles of husband and wife, which Paul will talk about in Ephesians. And he's really speaking to Christ and the church. I mean, we preach a lot on marriage. I preach a lot on marriage and, and, and parenting from, from that chapter. But Paul's really saying, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And in the same way that Christ and the church need one another, complement one another, and care for one another, uh, we too should do that with one another within the body. And we have different parts, but we have the same purpose. Look at verse 27 now. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Okay, So he acknowledges there's difference. There's different parts. Okay? We got people with different talents. Okay? And they're called to do different things. I realize in today's world, it's, you know, the message is everybody's equal. Everybody can do the same thing as everybody else. That's not true. We're all different. We're all by design have a different function and purpose and reason behind our place in the body. He says, verse 29, are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Of course, the, the inherent answer to those questions is, of course, no. They're not all apostles and prophets and teachers and they don't all work miracles and they don't all heal and they don't all speak in tongues and not everybody interprets. And he's getting back again to kind of addressing this, the, the, the scaffolding that was built within the church, the, the, the gifts that were given to the Christians at that time. <clears throat> it's in there, there's different roles and purposes behind each of those. And, and these spiritual gifts, even though they're temporary, they all serve a purpose. They all make the body better when they're used. And so wouldn't it be just like Satan? Wouldn't it be just like the enemy to take the things which God gives us and cause us to, you, to focus selfishly. Well, what makes them think they're better? Why do they get that gift? Why don't I get that gift? Why don't I have that part? Why am not I this uh, standing in the body? And sadly, he will use spiritual gifts in this church and in today's church, if we're not careful, to break the body apart. Instead of doing what they were designed to do, which was to bring the body together. Now think about it. Before a time when you had uh, Google Translate, you know, you had the Bible and every single translation immediately available uh, through your Bible app. How did the church, how is the church going to go out and reach the world? How are you going to overcome the language barriers? The Holy Spirit handled that. He said, I'm going to give some the ability to speak a language they've never studied. That's a pretty cool gift. 
person with that gift might tend to maybe want to show it off a little bit. So I think the Holy Spirit would hopefully give it to the right people. But some people would hear that gift, might sit there and think, well, I wish I had that gift. Why can't I be like that? And Satan whispers subtly, softly, they're not as good as you. You're better. You're deserving of more. Very crafty. And he'll use the gifts that God was giving to the church to allow them to explode and grow and reach people in distant lands and people who didn't know Jesus and people who never heard the gospel. And Satan's going to use those gifts, those, those tools, and he's going to hopefully get the church to turn inward and attack each other with those, with those tools to break the body apart instead of bringing it together. So not everyone has the same gift. Not everyone has the same function. And we understand. You may think, well, that was to the first century church. This, is, this really doesn't apply today. Well, in some sense, that's true. And we don't have to worry about, you know, I, I never, I can remember, I never walked into Jim Weathers' class and hear him speaking in tongues and like, man, I, Jim sure can speak Spanish really well. Wish I had that gift. I never walked into a, you know, John Dunham's class and, was just wowed by his prophetic knowledge given by the Spirit. Sorry, John. You think, well, we don't have those gifts. They don't really apply to us. What's the point in studying this chapter? Because though we don't have these gifts, if we're not careful, we can have the same problem. Because the the problem, the, the way that Satan tries to use and pit each part against each other and fill us with spiritual envy and jealousy. It's all selfishness. It's all pride. And he'll still work on those things. He'll still work in those ways. So not everyone has the same function. Not everyone has the same part. But we all have the same purpose. Glorify God with your gifts, we're told. All right, last verse. Earnestly, verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now, now this is interesting because Paul, this is, you know, it's hard for them to imagine having a higher gift than some of these gifts of the Spirit. That was like the, the most super Christian you could become, as if you could speak in tongues and have prophetic knowledge and, and so forth. Paul says, no. Now there's better gifts, higher gifts, and you should earnestly desire those. Now, this is where we step into the highest gift, the most excellent way. And it's answered in 1 Corinthians 13, the gift of love. Paul says, when you take down all the spiritual gifts, he says, uh, tongues are going to be stilled, knowledge will cease, All of this is going to go away. And sooner rather than later. But there's one gift that won't go away. And that's the ability to love. With love, no matter what your gift is, no matter what your part is, every gift gets better and every part gets stronger. 
I'll say that again so I hope you catch it. With love, every gift gets better and every part becomes stronger. Without love, every gift depreciates very quickly and every part declines and divides. Quickly, look at chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. As a person who does a lot of good, I'm not saying that to brag, that's sort of my job, is to do good. But the Holy Spirit has had to check me more than once on times that I've done a good thing without love. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you do good, you can have all the tables set up in the multipurpose room that you want. You can have the biggest ministry at Northside. You can reach thousands upon thousands of people in the Wichita community. But if you have not love, it's all for naught. It's an important encouragement as well as an admonishment that we should do well to heed. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. This is Paul's very subtle way of saying, you're being more childish than you know. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. Three. But the greatest of these is love. I have no problem reading 1 Corinthians 13 at a marriage ceremony. I have, and I'll probably continue to do so. But for a Sunday night study crowd, so that you may know, that's really not what Paul's talking about. What he's really talking about is the greatest spiritual gift that the church has ever and will ever have is the gift of love. And we can have many other gifts, we can do many other good things, but if we have not love, we miss, we miss out on the last best gift given to the church. The highest gift is love. It's what makes all the other gifts work. All the other gifts, especially the ones of the Spirit, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, 
Those things were temporary. But love, love was a gift then and it's a gift now. All other gifts are immature. They focus mostly on themselves. But love is how the body of Christ matures and shows maturity. Love is the greatest spiritual gift. We all can have it, we all can grow in it, and we all should use it regularly and abundantly. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the ways in which you guide, direct, lead, and help the body of Christ, the church. Father, we know that we cannot be a Christian and also not be a part of the body of Christ. And we realize that there's one body of Christ, but there are many parts to the body. Father, as we consider our part as a congregation at Northside, as we consider our part as an individual Christian, may we take seriously stewarding well what you've given us. May we be thoughtful. May we use it to benefit others. May we use it to serve. But above all that, Father, may all that we do, individually as well as collectively, be done in love. May we ask ourselves, is what we're doing motivated in love? Love for souls and love for you. Father, as we look introspectively and consider that, may we also collectively, together, seek to desire the higher gifts of love. I pray that Northside might ever be a congregation that's faithful, that's true, that's steadfast, a congregation of faith, of hope, but above all of that, that love might permeate every person, that love might permeate every ministry, every action, everything that we do. Father, we don't ask this prayer for our glory. Father, we ask it for yours. And we pray that we might each and every day grow to be more like your son. And it's through his name that we offer this prayer. Amen.